Immediately after hanging up, I contacted a close friend, and we agreed that I was to call him right after the meeting ended. If he never got the call, he was to find out exactly what had happened to me, since in the past people in a situation like mine had suddenly disappeared for days or even months after their visit. I decided not to tell my wife or my family anything, as I didn't want them to panic. I arrived at the main gate at 11 p.m. sharp. The neighborhood was quite familiar to me. My high school was literally right around the corner. At reception, after confirming that I was to meet Captain Rafat Al-Ghari, I was told to sit down and wait. Around me were at least six others. Although I didn't speak to them, it was clear that we all shared one emotion. Apprehension. Egyptian state security reached deep into society, involving itself in every detail of life. It thrived on the emergency law, enacted in 1958 but not enforced until after the Six-Day War in 1967, and still in effect by mid-2011. That law gives executive authorities the right to arrest, interrogate, and imprison any Egyptian for up to six months without a warrant or any legal grounds, or even the right to an attorney. It also empowers the authorities to ban all types of protests, as well as gatherings of any group of people without a security clearance. The dossiers of state security were objects of fear and ridicule. Any activist of any sort, or even anyone with considerable financial or intellectual influence, had an exhaustive dossier in his or her name at state security containing every detail the authorities had collected that could possibly be useful in blackmailing him or her into obedience when needed. Privacy was almost meaningless to this quintessentially Machiavellian organization. Thus, phone tapping, for instance, was a very common practice of state security officers. Word spread that tapes documenting the infidelities of famous businessmen and public figures were stored in a room at headquarters. Ironically, officers used to advise each other not to spy on their own wives' phones, to avoid family conflicts. Not only did the state monitor and terrorize political opposition groups and religious activists, but its oppressive reach extended to anyone engaged in public service, including charities whose field operations were limited to empowering the poor and unfortunate. With over 40% of Egyptians living below the poverty line, the authorities were consistently trying to curb anyone who might mobilize the masses for future political cause. State security approval was obviously a prerequisite for any senior appointment in the government. Even university teaching assistants, who were supposedly selected from among the top students of the year's graduating class, could not be hired by the university without a security clearance proving that they were innocent of any dissident activism, political or religious. The Egyptian regime lived in fear of opposition. It sought to project a facade of democracy, giving the impression that Egypt was advancing toward political rights and civil liberties, while it vanquished any dissidents who threatened to mobilize enough support to force real change. The Ministry of Interior was one key force of coercion. Another was the state media, 
terrestrial and satellite television, as well as newspapers and magazines, the most famous of which were Al-Aram, Al-Akbar, and Al-Gomhuria. The regime sought to plant fear in the hearts of Egyptians from an early age. Fear was embodied in local proverbs such as, Walk quietly by the wall where you cannot be noticed. Mind your own business and focus on your livelihood. And whosoever is afraid stays unharmed. The regime's uncompromising control also covered workers' unions and the nation's legislative bodies. This all amounted to what I came to call weapons of mass oppression.